my name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. Today we'll be recording our third and final episode in a podcast series called God's Heart for the Unloved Woman. This is the third of that series. We have looked at Hagar, who had a child by Abraham named Ishmael and ran away uh, after being mistreated and feeling unloved, unwanted, unvalued. And God met her and God showed her that he is the God who sees her and he is the God who listens to her. And we also talked about Leah and we learned that Leah after the course of several years of trying to earn her husband's favor, her husband was Jacob, after trying to earn his favor and earn his appreciation and his love primarily through childbearing and realizing it was not going to happen, she wasn't going to earn the love that she desired, she turned to the Lord and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And that baby was Judah who carries the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at a woman named Rahab, a woman who is a Canaanite woman. She is not Jewish. So of the women we've looked at, Leah is Jewish in the family of the people of Abraham. Hagar is Egyptian, was married to Abraham, sort of. She was Sarah's maidservant, but in Bible times through sexual intercourse, there is, a, there is a marital union that occurs, but she was not the favored wife or the first wife of Abraham, but she was an Egyptian woman. And, and now we have Rahab, who is a Canaanite woman, also not of the family of the Jews. But we will see by the end of her story that she gets immersed into the family of the Jews and even God in his grace and his mercy and his wonder and his love grafts a number of Gentile women including Rahab into the lineage of Jesus and it is phenomenal and it shows God's incredible heart for those who are outcast and who feel unwanted, unloved, unworthy, and who are outcast and unwanted by society. We see, even in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God's incredible heart for those who are downtrodden. And I just think that's a beautiful thing, especially as we inch, or I was going to say as we inch closer to Christmas, but really it's like we're racing towards Christmas at this point. It is every year. And as we race towards Christmas, how beautiful that we can see that even in Jesus's earthly lineage, God has compassion for those who are considered less than or unwanted. And that is phenomenal. So we're going to dive into Rahab's story today. Rahab is found in Joshua chapter 2. So just a little bit of background as to what has been happening The people of Israel have been in the desert for 40 years. The generation of adults who were adults when they came through the Red Sea 40 years prior, they had chosen not to enter into the promised land out of fear. And so God allowed them to stay in the desert as they wished and told them that they would stay in the desert until that generation had passed away. And then when that generation passed away, 
40 years later, they are now ready to enter into the promised land. So people who were children when they went through the parting of the Red Sea are now the generation of adults. And then, of course, people who were not yet born at the time of the Red Sea splitting, people who were born in the desert, um, those are the gen- that is the generation that is coming into the promised land now. So they are just at the threshold of crossing the Jordan and stepping into the promised land and taking over the promised land. And two men whose names we don't know are going to go into the promised land again and and spy it out, especially Jericho, to figure out how to take over the city of Jericho. And uh, Joshua is an old man. Joshua and Caleb, 40 years prior, had gone into the promised land with 12 spies that Moses had sent. Joshua and Caleb wanted to take the promised land at that time. They wanted to cross over into the promised land. They were trusting God that God would give them the land. The other 10 spies were scared and then convinced the people that they should stay in the desert. Um, and that's what happened. But Joshua is now an old man and he is now leading the people because Moses has passed away. So he is sending two spies into Jericho specifically to spy out the city and figure out how we can take conquest of this city. So we are in Joshua chapter 2 at this point, and that's where I'm going to start reading, and we will meet Rahab. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now that verse is very problematic to me. I don't know what to do with that verse. Why did these two Israelite men go to the house of a prostitute? I don't know if they went for any sexual reasons at all. I don't think so. I used to think so. I no longer think so. But we are going to find out in a moment in several verses that Rahab's house was built into the city walls. Many houses around the city would have been built in the city walls. The city walls were multi-layered, at least two layers. And so in between those layers of walls, if the if the brick walls or the stone walls are 10 to 12 feet apart or 20 feet apart, they would make houses between the two circles that surrounded the walls, if that makes sense. So there's an inner circle that surrounds the city, and then there's an outer circle that surrounds the city. And in between those two stone or brick walls, they could build houses. And often those houses were used as places um, where where people who come into the city would come and go. They were like an inn or a, a shelter, places where people knew they could go for care, for food, in, in between those city walls. Rahab was a prostitute, but she also may have used her home as an inn. We, we just don't know. And she clearly has some connections politically in the city because we're going to see in just a moment that the king of the city knows that this is where the men would have gone. Now, did he know that because Rahab was a prostitute and he is just making assumptions? Or was Rahab politically connected 
as well in the city and he and he has a relationship with her on a political level, professional level. We just we just don't know a lot of those answers. Now, let's also talk about the problem of the fact that it, it says here that she is a prostitute. Before we go any further, I want to talk about what that means. No little girl has ever said that she wants to grow up and sell her body for sex. No girl ever, no woman ever has wanted to be a prostitute. Prostitution almost always is a trap that women fall into, often because they have been abused and hurt as little girls and they have grown up since they were very young to feel that they have no value, that they're, they are good for nothing, they have no worth. The only good that can come from them is letting people take advantage of their bodies. And often the shame and the remorse and the heartbreak and the trauma that has occurred at a young age is so painful that the woman will turn to drugs and alcohol to cover up all of that trauma and all of that pain that she's living in. And then as she becomes addicted to the drugs and alcohol, there's only one way that she can think of to make the money to pay for the addiction, and that is by continuing to sell her body. Now, is that the case all the time? Of course not. But is it the case more often than not? Yes. Is it Rahab's story? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I want to look at Rahab tenderly as the beautiful, valuable woman that she is because we are going to learn that she is a spitfire. She is amazing. She is courageous and bold. And she is so honored by God. He gives her this incredible place of honor in the scriptures. And we're going to see that as we continue on. But I just want us to be very tender with that word prostitute and remember that it carries with it immense baggage and shame and hurt and trauma. And Rahab is probably young. She's going to go on to have children, we will find out. So she is still in her childbearing years. So she might be in her 20s, possibly her 30s here, but I think that's pushing it. I'm guessing that she's in her 20s here. And she's just this young woman who probably has had a life of shame and brokenness that has led her to where she is today. Okay, let's move on to verse 2. So in verse 1, we learned that the spies went to Rahab's house. We don't know why they went there, but they went there and her house was in the city walls. So they may have just gone there because it was an easy escape. So verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered into your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now, somebody told the king, okay, some Israelites came in and they came to spy out the land. They may have seen the spies go directly to Rahab's house, and that might be why the king knows that's where the spies are. It also might be because her house was used as an inn, in and out of the city, and it also might be because he makes an assumption based on her profession. So we're not sure how the king knows that the spies went there, but whatever the case, 
he knows, and he told the woman, he told Rahab, bring them out. They're spies. Verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hid them. She said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know they were spies. I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan River. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. All right, so the flax on her roof would have been for insulation, and she hid the men underneath that. Now, this is incredible courage because she could have been killed. She risked her own life to hide these spies. Why would she do that? They are from an army that is coming at them. The army is coming towards Jericho. Apparently, she knows this, and yet she hid them. Why would she protect people who are coming to attack and overtake the city? Well, we're going to find out. Before this, I'm on verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Okay, let's just pause here. She continues talking, but I want to just break down what she just said because this is incredible. This woman, this young lady, is probably in her 20s or 30s. So when the, when the Red Sea was split, that was 40 years prior, she was not alive. She was not alive when that happened. And yet she said, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. So 40 years later... This event of God splitting the Red Sea is still circulating in the land of Canaan. Even though the Israelites have been in the desert for the last 40 years, the people in the land of Canaan, at least in the city of Jericho, which was right on the other side of the Jordan, at least they know that there is a group of two million people who are led by an extremely powerful God, Their God split the Red Sea for them. They are living in the desert. They had known this for the entire 40 years that the Israelites had been in the desert. And they knew apparently at some point this people was going to come and take over their land. And what Rahab is doing here is going a step further. She is is confessing a personal faith and trust in the God of Israel. She says, I know that the Lord, she does not say, I know that your God. It would be typical for a Canaanite person who was raised in a culture where there are thousands of Canaanite gods that they worship. 
you kind of just pick your God and you pick which one your household is going to serve. And you have all these different idols in your household that you worship. And it would be very common in that culture to say, I know that your God has done this for you. But that's not what she says. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and a great fear of you has fallen on all of us. We are living in fear because of your people. We've heard how the Lord, again, she doesn't say we heard how your God dried up the Red Sea. No, she said we heard how the Lord, the Lord did this. And then she says at the very end of her talk, she says, when we heard about all this, our hearts melted in fear and everybody's courage failed because of you. And then she says her proclamation of faith. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. The Lord your God, he is God. He is the God of heaven above and all of the earth. She proclaims a mighty faith. And it's so amazing because she said everyone's hearts have failed. Everyone's courage has failed because of you. Our hearts have melted in fear. Except, of course, not her. Because here she is doing this amazingly courageous thing. She is full of courage. Her heart is full of power and might and audacity and chutzpah. Chutzpah. She is just amazing. I want to be like Rahab. So everybody else is living in fear, but she is rising above the fear. She is full of courage, and she knows that this is the one true God. Verse 12, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. She makes them promise. She's so bold. She's not in it just for herself. She is in it for her entire extended family. She's like, don't just save me. Save everybody. Save everybody in my extended family. And then the spies say, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So Rahab let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. That's in verse 15 where we get that information. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then you go on your way. So they continue and they make this plan. They tell her everybody has to be in your house by the time we come. So your whole extended family, if they are in your house, they will be safe. They also make a plan that she is going to tie a scarlet cord down the window and that is going to be how they know that that is her house. So when the Israelites come in to take over the city, the whole army of Israel will know you can't attack the, the house that has the scarlet cord hanging out of it. We are saving her. So they go back and they report this to Joshua. They tell Joshua all about what happened. Joshua agrees, absolutely, this woman and her family are going to be saved. So um, on the day, on the on, they cross over the river several days later. And then the whole Israelite army marches around the city of Jericho once per day for six days straight. God is giving all of the people a, t- a chance to repent. 
Rahab told the spies, everybody knows you're coming and our hearts are melting in fear because of you. We have no more courage because of you. So God is giving this people group, the Canaanites, a chance to repent. He wants them to repent. Now, if we dive into Canaanite history and Canaanite, uh, especially their religious practices, we will find that this land of Canaan is full of terrible evil, a great deal of child sacrifice specifically, uh, sacrificing their babies to the Canaanite gods in evil, evil ways that I can't even talk about, killing their babies, and also sexual promiscuity to a degree that we cannot even comprehend, and then sexual promiscuity within the temples to their to their Canaanite gods. So temple prostitution of of all sorts, just the the whole gamut of of um, what we can possibly imagine is going on there. And God is giving them a chance to repent. He wants them to come to trust in him as the one true God. And so for six days, they march around the city in total peace, giving the Canaanites a chance to, uh, to repent of their ways and to admit faith in the one true God. It seems that nobody does except for Rahab and her family. They're the only ones who come to faith in the one true God. So in verse 22 of chapter 6, it is on day 7. They've marched around the, the city seven times. The walls have crumbled down. And the army of Israel is going into the city to take the city. And it says in verse 22 of chapter 6, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought her out, her entire family, and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Okay, the only reason they're outside the camp of Israel is because... In the cleanliness and purity laws, the Canaanite people would not have been current or following, of course, the cleanliness and purity laws. So they had the opportunity then to decide if they wanted to follow Israel's cleanliness and purity wall purity laws. And if they chose to, then they would definitely be able to be brought into the camp. But if they choose not to follow those purity laws and rituals, then they would be kept outside the camp. But it's not in any sort of a way like they don't want to be with them or they want segregation. It's simply for obeying their cleanliness and purity laws. Um, And we know that Rahab, at least, we don't know about her family, but we know that Rahab, at least, does uh, choose to take on all of the faith and the practices of the Jewish people and is completely grafted in. We don't know about her extended family if they do that as well, but we know that they're safe. So in verse 25 of chapter 6, it says, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now we're going to continue on and we're going to see that indeed she does live among the Israelites. In fact, she gets fully grafted in, becomes part of the family, has children, 
and will eventually, her descendants will eventually lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would like to uh, jump to the book of Matthew. And I'm going to just share with you a little bit of the genealogy of Jesus. So I am going to start at verse 5, and I just want you to listen to verses 5 and 6 to hear. uh, Listen for Rahab's name, because it's here. (laughs) It says in verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, if if you're like, hmm, I think I remember the name Boaz from the Bible. Yes, you do. Boaz marries Ruth. We find that next. Um, Going on in verse 5, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, another Gentile, non-Jewish woman that God brings into the family of Israel and makes part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. So both Rahab and Ruth are in that category. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. So God is giving just tremendous honor, tremendous honor to Rahab and to Ruth, but we're going to focus on Rahab. I want you to remember back to at the beginning of Rahab's story when we were talking about what what might be behind the word prostitute. What might her story have been that led to her lifestyle as a prostitute? Probably a great deal of shame and feeling unworthy. And God picks her out. He chooses her. He gives her this incredible faith and courage in the midst of a people group who it says they had lost all their courage. They had, their hearts were melting in fear. And God picks this woman out and chooses her and fills her with hope and courage and faith and trust. And he calls her out of it and he lets her know, I love you. I love you. I have plans for your life. You have a role to play in the history of mankind that is bigger and greater than anything you could possibly imagine. Dear Rahab, dear Rahab, I have plans for you. You are going to be in the lineage of the Savior of the world. And he picks her out of that people group. He gives her great faith. And here he plants her in the lineage of Jesus and records her name. Very few women's names are recorded in genealogies. But Rahab is a Gentile woman and hers is recorded. Ruth is a Gentile woman and her name is recorded. Up above these in verse 3, um, who, who became another wife of Judah, is Tamar. She was a Gentile woman, and her name is recorded in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, God just has a way of saying these women matter. These women matter. I love these women. I'm grafting them into my people, and I'm naming them. I'm naming them in the lineage of my son because they are important. I am giving them worth and value because they are my daughters. That is God's heart for the woman who feels unloved, for the woman who feels ashamed and unworthy. God's heart for her her is, no, you do matter. And I am calling you by name, and I am putting you 
in my story. You have a role to play for the shaping of mankind that is more than you could possibly imagine. God says that of every single one of his daughters. And if we would simply step into it and believe it the way Rahab did, it can change not only our lives, but it can change the world, dear friends. Let's go a step further and see how much more honor God bestows on this dear woman. So even later in the book of Hebrews, there is a famous chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, that's called the Hall of Faith. And in the Hall of Faith, we have this list, a very long list, the entire chapter, of people who lived in faith. Most of the people named are from the Old Testament. Actually, all the people who are named are from the Old Testament. They are people from the Old Testament who lived in great faith and God did mighty things through them. Most of the people who are named are men. But then there's Rahab in verse 31 of Hebrews chapter 11. So it's going on by by faith this person did this, by faith this person did this, by faith this person did this. Um, That's how the whole thing is going. And then in verse 31, it says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. Rahab is in the hall of faith. Then if we go another book of the Bible over to the book of James, James in uh, in this part of scripture, he is writing about how it's kind of controversial what he's writing about because he's talking about how your works matter. So that can be a little controversial when we when we say, no, you're saved by grace through faith and it is not based on works. And James is saying, well, your works matter. But what James is really saying is your works prove your faith. So yes, you are saved by faith, but faith without works is dead, he says. That's not any real faith. So the works that you're doing are proving the faith. It's like the carrying out of your faith is what James is saying. But he says in verse 25, so he's talking about how um, he's been talking about Abraham and he's been talking about the works that Abraham did proved his faith. And then he says in verse 25 of chapter 2, he says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? For what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So he's saying that Rahab, her faith was proved through the works that she did. And God considered her righteous. Now what I love here, now it's always really bothered me, I'm going to be honest, that in both Hebrews and in James, when it refers to when, when they refer to Rahab, they refer to her as Rahab the prostitute. And I've always been like, why does that matter? Why, why don't they drop the label? Get rid of the label and let's just call her Rahab. But it occurred to me that what James is doing here is he is setting up for us the, the magnitude of God's grace here. Rahab was a prostitute. There's a great deal of sexual sin in there, but also a great deal of trauma and shame and a background that she probably thought she could never get rid of. A history that she thought she could never get rid of. A a lifetime of disappointment that she thought she would carry with her forever. And what James is showing us is that she didn't carry it with her forever. He is saying that the prostitute 
turned righteous. Like God got rid of the lifestyle of prostitute. God took that away. God made that no more. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And he's saying she is righteous. So he's setting up a comparison for us that this is what she was. God made her righteous. This is so phenomenal because this is 1,500 years later when James is writing this and when the author of Hebrews wrote his letter. 1,500 years later, they are using Rahab as an example of how God can take someone's life and completely turn it around and show her that you are valuable, you are worth everything to me. I will make you righteous. I will take away your past and make you brand new. I will graft you into my people, not just graft you into my people, but I will put you in the lineage of my son when he gets born on earth. I will put you right in that family tree. You know what else? I'm going to list your name. I'm going to put your name in there. And when I create my hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to put your name in there. And when James is writing to people that what they do matters, their actions on earth matter to prove their faith, I'm going to put your name in there as somebody who lived with a mighty faith. And because of that was made righteous. I'm going to put your name in there, dear Rahab. That is what God does for those who feel unworthy, unloved, unredeemable. God lifts them out of that and says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. That's from Isaiah 43. And that is what God does for Rahab. He calls her by name in Joshua, in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of James, God calls her by name. Why? Because her impact on the human race was far beyond anything she possibly could have imagined. And dear sister, so is yours. So is yours. And dear brother, I don't know if any men listen to my podcast, but if you do, this is about you too. This is about you too. God has a plan for your life that is so much bigger and so much greater than anything we could ask or imagine. Even when we feel unloved and unworthy, that is actually the time when God can most get in and use us because we are pliable and we are willing to be used. We have our hands up and we're like, what now, God? What could you possibly make of my mess? And God is like, oh, let me show you. Oh, let me show you. The Lord loves a broken and contrite heart. And we see that over and over and over in scripture, that God will use us when we think he possibly never could. He uses us more than we can ask or imagine, just like Rahab. That is God's heart for the woman who feels unloved because we know, in fact, that there is no such thing as an unloved woman because you have a God in heaven who sees you, who knows your name, who calls you, who hears you, who hears all your cries, and who lifts you out of it and gives you a purpose beyond your imagining. Amen and amen. I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.